This morning, treating this as our Easter, not our Easter, our Thanksgiving Sunday, departing from Hebrews just for a Sunday, I wanted to bring to you a special Thanksgiving-style message. A message good for us this day because of where we are in the world and in our time in the world. What's happening in Israel in the war. What's happening in the United States of America. We're going to go back in time. And we are going to learn to give thanks and to worship God and be at peace. We're going to march to Zion with thanksgiving. We go marching to Zion, beautiful, beautiful Zion, says the lyrics. And then we will do this. Psalm 123, let me read this in opening. Unto you I lift my eyes. You, O you who dwell in the heavens, behold as the eyes of the servants look to the hand of their masters, as the eyes of a maid to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God until he has mercy on us. Have mercy on us, O Lord. Have mercy on us. For we are exceedingly filled with contempt. Our soul is exceedingly filled with the scorn of those who are at ease. With the contempt of the proud. Pray with me this morning. Father God, we bow our heads, but we bow our hearts before you as well, and we pray, come, help us, not only us in this room, Lord God, but all of mankind, all of mankind in this world of chaos and strife, all of the nations of the world, their unending troubles and trials. Unto your own nation, your people Israel, Lord, gather them according to your promise. And grant them peace in the promised land and worship upon Temple Mount. And may we see it and be glad. Give us hearts filled with thanksgiving, for lo, God, you are good. And there is none like you. So teach us this day to give thanks. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Marching to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. This morning we are going to take a sampling from the 15 Psalms of Ascent. The Psalms of Ascent. These were Psalms that were sung to music. This is the Psalter, the, the hymnal of Israel. 
And as the children of Israel would return for the feast days to gather in Jerusalem, to gather on Temple Mount, they would ascend from the plains of the Jordan and walk up for Jerusalem indeed sits on the mountains. She is up. As God is up, so is his city. And they would sing these psalms as they would ascend the pathways to Jerusalem, as they would walk upon the Jerusalem road through the Judean hills and go up to Mount Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. As they went up, they sang these songs that go up. They go up to God. They're also known as Psalms of Degrees, for you can go up with them and down with them. We'll get to that later. But now we begin marching to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful Zion. We're marching upward to Zion, the hymnist says, the beautiful city of God. The children of Israel gathered at the temple in Jerusalem, and it was mandatory that all the males, all the men of Israel would gather there three times a year. Three times a year to meet with God. Didn't you know that's what the tabernacle was called? By God himself, he called it, this is the tabernacle of meeting. This is where you shall meet with me. So they went to meet God and to celebrate his feast days with God. Today, we well in a sense join the pilgrimage. We'll join the procession for the Feast of Tabernacles. For the Feast of Tabernacles. We will savor, we will enjoy five of these 15 psalms of ascent. And there's a purpose in this. The purpose is so that we can be prepared. That even now we would be preparing hearts of thanksgiving and the singing of ascents for that great and glorious day. And it will come for all who believe when we will join the processional in that great kingdom of Jesus the Christ to keep the Feast of Tabernacles when Jesus Christ is King and Lord over his holy city, Jerusalem. So let's prepare ourselves for the journey. We prepare ourselves with the psalmist who writes Psalm 120. For the 15 psalms are Psalm 120 through Psalm 134. This is a psalm of longing. This is a psalm of longing for the land of the Lord. One who no longer keeps his residence within the confines of the boundaries of the land of Israel. He is farther out. He is a sojourner far from his homeland. Let's listen to the words of this psalm. Psalm 120 says, and they would sing this. In my distress, I cried to the Lord, and, I, and he heard me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips. 
and from a deceitful tongue. What shall be given to you, or what shall be done to you, you false tongue? Sharp arrows of the warrior with coals of the broom tree. Woe is me, he says, that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell among the tents of Kedar. My soul has dwelt too long with the one who hates me, the one who hates peace, for I am for peace. But when I speak, they are for war. This is the beginning trek of the pilgrim who lives far away. The distance is long. There's a distance required for his return, and it is, it is long. These are the people called the diaspora, coming from dispersed. Those who are dispersed throughout all the nations of the world. The Greek word is diaspora, for all Jews dispersed among the nations. And even, even Peter himself, when he writes his first epistle, will address many of the Jews living in foreign lands in this way, he says in 1 Peter 1, 1, to the pilgrims of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. And this psalmist even recognizes his distance. And he is sort of representative of all who are dispersed, for he first begins in saying that I sojourn in Meshech. Well, where is Meshech? Well, it is an area far to the north of Israel. The first mention of this name in your Bibles you will find in Genesis chapter 10, verse 2, and it's not a place, it's a person. It's a person who is a son of Japheth, Meshech. You'll find it again in your Bibles if you look in Ezekiel, that ever so famous prophecy of Gog, of Magog. He who is prince of Rosh, or Rush, of Meshech and Tubal. These are those in the areas to the north of Israel. You draw a line, you go through Turkey, you hit the Ukraine, you hit Russia. The Rush, you hit Meshech. Far to the north of his homeland, he cries, I am far away, I sojourn in Meshech. And then, representative of the others, even to the south, I dwell among the tents of Kedar. The tents of Kedar, this area, is south of Israel. We would call it Arabia, even Saudi Arabia in our modern maps. These were the sons of Ishmael that he would dwell amongst. Their tents, the Bedouins, and the Arabs. Hence the disposition of the people of the world that he is dwelling amongst is given to us in the first part of this psalm. Deliver my soul, he prays, verse 2, from lying lips, from a deceitful tongue, for truly the nations that don't belong to God are nations of deceit, of lying. There is something that shall be done to them in punishment in verses 3 and 4, coming their way, but the hardest thing for him 
is their lack of truthfulness. I live amongst the people who don't tell the truth, who tell lies all the time, and I couldn't but yet parallel it to our world in which we live today and even our own country and even the sources that we would look to for truth and for news and for right. Deliver me. Deliver my soul, O Lord. From lying lips, would we not pray as well? This is, if you will, a man who feels in exile with a longing for the land of peace. Notice the last two verses. Psalm 120, My soul has dwelt too long with one who hates peace. I am for peace. But when I speak, he says, when I speak peace, when I try to make peace, they are for war. They're for war. The exile is longing for the land of peace, the land of Jerusalem, the land of home. He steps out of his house. He begins the trek. The path away from where he sojourns, and now Israel will start joining him as he takes one step after another. Those of Israel will shake out of the country. They will come down the paths and the byways. They will come from the south. They will come from the north. And they will join the worship train of thanksgiving. I am for peace, but they are for war. This is a cry again for peace and for home. Even in the Christmas season, we will sing a song that says this, Let there be peace on earth. And let it begin with me. Let there be peace on earth, the peace that was meant to be. To attend the Feast of Tabernacles, the journey begins by leaving the foreign land and going home. Number two, the second psalm we will look at this morning, skipping Psalm 121, we go to Psalm 122, an anticipation for the house of the Lord, an anticipation for the house of the Lord. Listen to this psalm. This is a song, a psalm of a sense of David. And he writes, I was glad when they said to me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem is built as a city that is compact together, where the tribes go up, the tribes of the Lord, to the testimony of Israel, listen, to give thanks to the name of the Lord. For thrones are set there for judgment, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they prosper who love you. Peace be within your walls, prosperity within your palaces, for the sake of my brethren and my companions. I will now say, peace be within you because of the house of the Lord your God. I will seek your good. 
Here is the anticipation for the presence of the house of the Lord and the gathering of the people of the Lord in the house of the Lord. As David, David exclaims himself, I was glad when they said to me, come along. I was glad when they said to me, it's time for the Feast of Tabernacles. Join us in procession. Join us in the journey. Join us on the way. Let us go with gladness ourselves. It is though they're shedding the world behind them of the pagans, and they are going to see their God, and the presence of the people and the presence of the God is all they desire. Anticipate the procession that will begin the invitation to joyous pilgrimage. It is both familial. The tribes, he says, go up. The tribes of the Lord. And it is deeply spiritual. Give thanks to the name of the Lord. The anticipated praise, Psalm 122, verse 2, the city is mentioned. The law is mentioned. Verses 2 through 5. And the kingly line of David. And on they would proceed for this day, this holiday, this day of feasting that they are required to do is also, well, it's sort of like being required to go home for Thanksgiving. Not so tough. There is an anticipation. There's an anticipation to praise. There's a, an anticipation of joy. For this Feast of Tabernacles is known in, in Israel as the holiday. Of all the other feast days, of all the other holidays, this is known by them as the holiday, as the most joyous celebration. And in their verbiage, it is called Sukkot. Sukkot. The fall harvest has come in. The plenty and the bounty of the Lord's provision is all around them, and it is exactly the time of thanksgiving. It is the time when we look at the plenty that God has given, and we fill the horn, and we give thanks, and say, God is good. But the word in Hebrew, this Sukkot, it has a meaning. It means tabernacle. But for us, we don't really relate too well to that tabernacle idea. But we can relate to its straight translation, tent. It is a tenting holiday. Tenting tonight, tenting tonight. We're going tenting together. In our pilgrimage, we will dwell in tents along the way. And when we arrive in Jerusalem, we will set up for ourselves tents or booths. For it is a reminder, it is a commemoration of the time of God's greatest deliverance for Israel. When God saw them as a, a slave group of people in bondage in Egypt, and when God delivered him by a strong hand and brought them out and across the Red Sea, and they traveled in tents. 
for day upon day, and God provided for them. And even, even in their rebellion, God provided 40 years of manna in the desert lands when they lived in tents and nothing wore out. Their tents did not wear out. Their sandals did not wear out. Their clothes did not wear out. Though they were in and under judgment for refusing to go into the land, he provided their food, their clothes, their everything, their tents. So we live in tents. And we remember with thanksgiving. It is a way of telling our children, this is what happened. This is how it was. This is God, your God, who delivered us. Rejoice and give thanks for the bounty you see around you. For just like we have had food this year, we had food when we traveled from Egypt. But Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, also rejoices in a new relationship that was established between God, very God, and the children of Israel, never before had. This is when God himself said, I, I said a new law. A new law because I am coming to tent with you. And from that we get the tabernacle. For they built for God a tent. And he tabernacled in it. He dwelt with his people. And the Feast of Tabernacles is a remembrance that God came unto his people and dwelled amongst them. And they would meet with him at the temple of meeting. For in there he was. And his glory. This was a time of joy. It was in October, just this year, Sukkot, the Feast of Tabernacles, the last day of the feast, booths still set up all over Jerusalem, celebration of thanksgiving to God, and across the borders, those of deceit with lying tongues came in to kill and to destroy. We've just celebrated Thanksgiving, and you did not hear on your door a pounding. You did not have the frame bashed in by guerrilla fighters spraying all of you within with bullets and burning your house to the ground with your children in it. But on the Feast of Tabernacles in Israel this year, it happened. And so there is an anticipated prayer So often, I've even heard this verse 6 of Psalm 122 on the news. But yet it is divorced from the Feast of Tabernacles. It is out of the context that it should be held in. I've heard people say, we're commanded to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. No, even Jerusalem is praying voluntarily for the peace of Jerusalem. Look at the words, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. 
Sha'alu, Shalom, Yerushalayim. Sha'alu, Shalom, Yerushalayim. Pray, all you people who are coming from the lands where you are hated, where there is no peace, and even in the land where we often find no peace, pray for the peace of Jerusalem, that they may prosper, listen, who love you. You want provision from the Lord, we pray and give thanks, then we also will prosper on the basis of loving Israel. Not because they are themselves good, but because they are God's people and he is good. I will bless those who bless you, God said to Abraham, and I will curse those who curse you. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. In another psalm, Psalm 137, the people of Israel cry. 137 verse 4, it says, How shall we sing? How shall we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget its skill. If I do not remember you, let my tongue cling to the roof of my mouth. If I do not exalt Jerusalem above my chief joy, how does this go? How should it be? Verse 8, the end. I will now say, peace be within you. Number three. The third psalm of ascent I want to look at this morning is security from trust in the Lord. When you trust in the Lord, you will find security. Psalm 125 is Psalm of Ascents, and they would sing as they would go up. Listen, those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which cannot be moved, but abides forever. As the mountains surrounded Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people from this time forth and forever. For the scepter of wickedness shall not rest on the land allotted to the righteous, lest the righteous reach out their hands to iniquity. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good and to those who are upright in their hearts. As for such a turn, as for such as turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them away with the workers of iniquity. Now listen again. Peace be upon Israel. Are you seeing, are you seeing the pattern? The pattern of a cry for peace. Pattern of an exiled and wandering people. Up they go in rejoicing and returning to the Holy Land, they're trusting in the Lord who brings stability. They're trusting in the Lord who brings stability. Look at verse 1 again. Those who trust in the Lord are like Mount Zion, which can never be moved, but abides forever. Those who trust in God have a mountain as their support, like God's holy mountain, whom he built 
and he maintains. Also, as we look at this psalm, we see that trusting in the Lord bows to sovereignty, bows to sovereignty. Listen to this. It's somewhat of a difficult verse to exegete, but when you see it in its context and let it rest upon you a while, you see the wisdom of it. For they would sing, for the scepter of wickedness shall not rest. Means there'll always be those who hate Israel. There are always those who will fight against her. There are always those who will fight against God because God is the God of Israel. But he says it will always rest on the land allotted to the righteous. And why is that? There's a purpose in it. Lest the righteous reach out their hands to iniquity. When we trust in God, we have stability, but we also bow to his sovereignty. Just like Israel must do, trusting in God's justice and his sure justice keeps the righteous from taking punishment into their own hands and becoming sullied, sullied with the sin of vengeance. For it is God who has said, vengeance is mine. I will repay. We trust the Lord's sovereignty lest we become the judge ourselves and slip into revenge. But thirdly as well, let her see under security from the trust in the Lord. Trusting in the Lord buys sanctity. It buys, <clears throat> if you will, a closeness with God, a, a holiness, if you will. Look at verse 4. Do good, O Lord, to those who are good, and to those who have an up or upright in their hearts. For as such as turn aside to their crooked ways, the Lord shall lead them away with the workers of iniquity. God rewards those who follow him and do good. So they can look for this this ending, but peace be upon Israel. Shalom al Yisrael. It is a prayer for peace. It is a prayer for peace that is found in the ancient places of worship in Israel, the synagogues. It's mosaic floors that proclaim and cry out for peace then, still cry out for peace now. But yet, if you want security, you must trust in the Lord, trusting the Lord for his provision. It was a big part of the Feast of Tabernacles that we were trusting God to provide for us yet again as the people of Israel. And it was an anticipated time, a time when they waited for what they called the latter rains, the rains that were so necessary for them to be able to plant the crops for the next year, that would water the soil. And so this became a prayer for water, and the water was incorporated into the Feast of Tabernacles. And so as now the pilgrims, and they have arrived at the temple of God, and now they are here and enjoying the peace and the prosperity and the provision of God, they would then come to the temple. They would come to the ten temple for Hoshana Rabbah. For Hoshana Rabbah the water-pouring ceremony or the water-libation ceremony, the pouring of the water. 
As this great time would come, the throngs of joyous people would come into the temple and they would divide themselves into two great processions. One procession would leave the temple following the high priest and in the hands of the high priest would be a golden pitcher. And that procession would lead all the way down to the pool of Siloam. If you've read your New Testament, you'll know this is the place where the water would move. This is the place where some would go later for healing. It was called the place of living water. And with music and in singing and dancing down the way, the entirety of Israel would join together for the water celebration and down they would go. And when the high priest would get there very ceremoniously, he would dip from the pool of Shalom the water, this moving water. Whereas at the same time, the concurrent procession would lead from the, leave from the other side of the temple and they would be going, they would be going to Mozah. They would be going to the brook and the swampy area where the willow trees grew. And they would sing and they would dance and they would cut the branches of the willow trees and they would carry them in great bundles, dancing and singing from there back up into the temple where before the water came back, they would construct a giant arbor of living willow branches over the altar of God so that the altar came alive with these water-loving trees. Meanwhile, the parade of the water comes back, and as the temple trumpeters see the high priest approaching, as he reaches the gate, the silver trumpets of God will peal forth and sound the blast. He has arrived! And through he would come, the walls of the temple, and he would enter in through the Water gate. Why is it called the water gate? Because it's that gate through which the water comes every year at the Feast of Tabernacles. It is that place where the springs of water come. This is the place that we remember. And every time we walk through it during the year, this is the water gate. The priest will approach the altar. And as he does, the priests all gathered together of the Levites will raise their voice in the recitation of the prophet Isaiah. And all the priests together would say in harmony these words that the prophet Isaiah spoke. They would say, therefore, with joy you shall draw water from the wells of salvation. The high priest will then ascend to the altar. And on the right side of the altar, on the right side of the altar, in preparation to pour his libation of water in one of the silver basins. And as he is preparing and starting to raise his hand, the entirety of the congregation will shout out as that golden pitcher goes up. They will say, raise your hand. And the high priest will then pour of that water pitcher 
into the silver basin. And at the same time, on the other, another priest pours out a wine offering, a drink offering to the Lord. And through the channels that are there, the water and the wine commingle at the bottom of the altar. This is the water ceremony. And at that moment, the temple choir, the Levites who have been separated from birth, trained in the highest forms of music and song, begin to sing. They begin to sing the Hallel. The Hallel is the praise to God. These are Psalm 113 through Psalm 118. And they will sing it and when they hit verse 25 of Psalm 118, the entirety of Israel, the congregation assembled in the temple will sing these words together. Save now, I pray, O Lord, O Lord, I pray, send prosperity. If that sounds familiar to you, Save now, I pray. These are the words that in another year, in the last year when Jesus will come to Jerusalem and sit on the foal of a donkey, the crowds will cry out and pave his way into Jerusalem. But this year is a different year. This year, Jesus, Jesus still has unbelieving brothers. The book of John tells us that they are inviting Jesus to come with them to the Feast of Tabernacles. And he says, no, I will not go yet, for it is not my time. And he lets his brothers go, and then he goes later, alone. He's not yet come in triumphantly. He is the quiet teacher. He is the one doing miracles. He is the amazing man whose name is on the lips of all in Jerusalem. Every day of the seven-day festival, the water is poured. The people rejoice. John chapter 7 tells us of the last day. This day when Jesus went up alone without his brothers. John records verse 37 of chapter 7. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of what? Living water. The water pouring ceremony pointed to Christ. 
and the Holy Spirit. Verse 39, John 7. But this he, Jesus, spoke concerning the Spirit whom those believing in him would receive for the Holy Spirit had not yet was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. At this moment in the greatest of feasts, the most powerful point was made by Jesus. He was proclaiming, I am your Messiah. A lot of people ask, did Jesus ever claim to be God? Did he ever claim to be Messiah? He did it right here. On the highest feast day of tabernacles. And he said, come to me and drink the water of my salvation. Who can save but God? Such that some would be saved and never spiritually ever thirst again. Number four. We're marching to Zion Psalm 127. They would sing of legacy through the working with the Lord. Legacy that comes only through working with the Lord or alongside the Lord. In this we have a tale of two houses. Notice the legacy of a city house and the legacy of the family house. Psalm 127. Unless the Lord builds the house, they would sing, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman stands awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. For so he gives his beloved sleep. Verse 3, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. May I have an amen? The fruit of the womb is his reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are children of one's youth. Verse 5, happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed. They shall speak with their enemies in the gate. Are you seeing something here? Pray for peace. Pray for peace. Give us peace. Give us peace. There's enemies all around unless the Lord builds the house. They labor in vain who build it. The building by the Lord's help is an essential for the city of Jerusalem to stand. If you place her stones with any other mortar than God himself as your co-builder, his word as your guide, your stones are sure to fall. You will guard that wall in vain, and she will fall, for she is rotten in her mortar. She has nothing with which to stand upon. The legacy of the city requires all of city life and all of martial life to depend upon God himself. This thing I pray for Israel today, for they yet think too highly of their army and not their God. Long live Jerusalem! may be their cry, but unless they say also, in God we trust, there will be no shalom a Yisrael. There will be no peace 
in Israel. So now when you see the building of the city dependent upon God, that city house, also you see the family house is also built on God. I like to pray this prayer with parents, with parents who have many children. And since the Bible doesn't define what a quiver full of children is, I have arbitrarily chosen six. So parents, young people who want children, if you want me to pray this, I'll only pray it at the birth of your sixths because your quiver is not full yet until that time. And why is it a blessing? There are enemies, it says, but, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. This implies children who have been raised well, who are raised to defend the city, for it is certain if parents do not raise up their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, if they do not show even their heritage of Israel that this is your God, and in him you shall trust, and this is his word, and on that we will stand, then you are by and large turning those very arrows that can be fired at the enemy back at yourself. And oh, how we see it in this land where we once said in God we trust, but we put our trust in schools, in universities, in the liberal mindset of the world. And we've got these burgeoning terrorists calling for death of Israel from the river to the sea. Palestine should be free. And they mean by that death to Israel. These are our children. We bear responsibility. When your children become arrows pointed at you, your city will fall because though there's a guard on the walls, the canker, the rot, is within the walls and they will open the gate to the enemy. It's the Feast of Tabernacles and now night has fallen on the first day. The water pouring ceremony and its festivities have gone on for much of the day but now it is night and what shall they do? Go to bed and sleep? No, this is the best test ever now. Now comes the light ceremony. Now comes Shimkat Bayet Hasha'iva. The rejoicing at the house of the water drawing. The festival of light. Of light. We have lights at Christmas the places in the towns light up. The light, the light, the light. And in Israel at this time, in the court of the women, which is the largest court in the temple of God in Jerusalem, the crowds would throng come even time. They would want to get their place and be there in time, lest they have to stand outside. The only change 
to the court of the women was a barrier was put down the center for the men would be on the one side and the women be separated on the other. But in the court, there were four colossal menorah stretching up into the heavens. And from each of these, there would branch four branches, each lit by an enormous lamp. And the wicks of the lamp were sacred. The wicks of the lamp were made from the worn out clothing of the priests that they wore in the ministry to the temple of God. They would burn with the light of that heavy linen. There was a stairway on each one. Which a lithe young man would climb as it became dark and each of the menorah were lit. The temple of the women they were bathed with that golden light from the menorah. This was powerful. This was symbolic. This was to remind them of the Shekinah glory of God that had once filled the house of God. A hush would fall over the congregation as a processional of the singers from the temple would approach from the court of the Israelites and they would come down as it were from us from this area here from the court of the Israelites and they would stand upon the dais a dais formed semicircular with 15 steps going down and they would begin to sing and what would they begin to sing they would begin to sing the psalms of ascent and in this case the psalms of degrees. Whereas they began to sing, they would sing Psalm 120 standing on the top step and then when they finished they would step down one and sing Psalm 121 and they would step down at Psalm 122, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34. A concert in the temple of God and that would not end it for all night long. The elders of the Sanhedrin would be up and they would dance the torch dances. The intricate, syncopated, choreographed dances of light with the torches before the people and the people would celebrate and glorify their God. And in a sense what was happening there is that it has become a prayer. It had become a prayer in Israel for there was a time in Israel when Ezekiel was their prophet, a prophet sent into exile. And it was given unto him the vision of what was happening in this temple of God, and it was heinous, and it was an aberration, and it was an abomination to the Lord. For the very time when the people of Israel should have been looking to their God and trusting in him, they were worshiping the pagans. 
And even the elders of Israel were standing at the door that faced east and were worshiping the sun god of the pagans. And so from that, the glory of God left the temple. And so at the time of Jesus, while they're dancing, while they're singing, while they're looking to the menorah on high, they are in a sense humanly trying to recreate the glory of God lost. But it had become a prayer for him to return. For Ezekiel had promised this. For chapter after chapter, Ezekiel describes a new temple built in the kingdom of God. The kingdom that would come. The kingdom promised David. In Ezekiel 43 we read, After he brought me to the gate, the gate that faces toward the east, this is where the glory left, and behold the glory of the God of Israel came from way of the east. His voice was like the sound of many waters, and the earth shone with his glory. It was like the appearance of a vision which I saw, like the vision which I saw when I came to destroy the city. The visions were like the visions which I saw by the river Kibar, and I fell on my face. And the glory of the Lord came into the temple by way of the gate which faces toward the east. The Spirit lifted me up and brought me into the inner court. And behold, the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And I heard him speaking to me from the temple while a man stood beside me. And he said to me, Son of man, this is the place of my throne, the place of the soles of my feet, where I will dwell, where I will tabernacle in the midst of the children of Israel forever. Nor more, no more shall the house of Israel defile my holy name, nor their kings by their harlotry, or with their carcasses of their kings on their high places. This was the promise that they celebrated at Feast of Tabernacles. On the eighth day of the Feast of Tabernacles, Jesus returned from the Mount of Olives to teach at the temple John records it in chapter 8, verse 1, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Now nearly, now early in the morning, he came again to the temple right after the festival of light. And all the people came to him and he sat down and he taught them. And then the Pharisees and scribes tried to take peace from Yisrael. Jerusalem. For they came to test Jesus. And they brought to him a woman caught in adultery. I.e. without the man caught in adultery. I think you need both to catch him. They said to Jesus, the law says... The woman caught in adultery shall be stoned. What do you say? This is the moment when Jesus, 
like he'd never heard them, squatted down on the ground and began to draw in the sand. And thinking they're ignored, they said again, what should we do with them? The law says she should be stoned. Jesus kept drawing in the sand. And then Jesus said, the one of you who is without this sin cast the first stone. And the oldest of them looked and he was cut in his heart with conviction and he went away. And the others followed him. And in John 8, 11, Jesus said to the woman, he said, where are your accusers? Who is he who accuses you? For by the law, by the word of two or three witnesses, you are condemned. Jesus said, where are your accusers? She said, there is no one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. That's called repentance. And a call to repent. Don't do it anymore. Go free. Then Jesus spoke to them again saying, the crowd is still there. The accusers are gone. Jesus said at that time, I am the light. Of the world. I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. The town had been lit. The dances had been danced. The psalms of ascent had been sung. And Jesus says, I'm the light. I'm the Shekinah glory of God. I have just brought peace to Yerushalayim. I am shining the glory of God among you. They who build the house labor in vain unless the Lord builds the house. Five. I want to get to this. This perplexed me, so I had to study it. What is this Psalm 131? Soothing the soul by humility before, he, before the Lord. Listen. Lord, my heart is not haughty, nor my eyes lofty. Neither do I concern myself with great matters, nor with things too profound for me. Now listen. Surely I have calmed and quieted my soul. Zero in here. Like a weaned child with his mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. 
This is my prayer for Israel. This is my prayer for me. This is my prayer for you and all the arrows in your quivers. It begins with humility. To think rightly about who we are and what we are, not think more highly of ourselves than we ought. I have humbled myself. This is David, the king who writes this. I'm not haughty nor lofty, and I don't concern myself with great things. I'm not going to be puffed up with pride and excess knowledge for my own sake. But then this, maturity. You see, you'll never get a soothed soul without humility before God first, and you'll never get maturity without humility. Here we have the calming of yourself, self-control. Transitioning from the infant, from the suckling child to the wean child is a difficult transition. Mothers, can I have an amen? Why? Because mom comforts them and her closeness comforts them and her voice comforts them and her smell comforts them. And now they have to grow up. Now is time and every parent must teach their children or you'll have a spoiled child. There's a time where the nursing is no more. When the bottle must be taken away. When the pacifier must come out of the mouth and the child must learn, hear me, to pacify themselves. Let me parallel it with the theme we've been reading. To find peace with God rather than with their mother, rather with the situation than they are in. They've learned to calm their soul, to hope in the Lord is how it ends. Oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. Not in your mommies. Not in your daddies. Not in your armies. Hope in the Lord and you will find peace. You will wean yourselves. Hear me, Americans. Wean yourselves from the strength of your nation. Wean yourselves from suckling on the teeth of your government. And find your peace by pacifying yourself in humility before your God. This is what Israel needs. Be still and know that I am God. The eighth day of tabernacles is this. Simchat Torah. Simchat Torah. The rejoicing of the law. Jesus sat down and taught them on Simchat Torah. It was the year when the reading cycle, it was yearly, of the Torah began anew. Everyone who wanted to turn to read Torah out loud was given the Aliyah, 
the right to read from the pulpit. And then the dancing would begin and they would raise up the scrolls of Torah in joy. How do you quiet your spirit? How do you become mature? How do you dance in hope? Simchat Torah, the joy of the law. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us and tabernacled among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory of the everlasting of the Father. As the Levitical singers took the final step down into the court of the women, the throng of Israel gathered in the temple. Bless Behold, bless the Lord, all you servants of the Lord, who by night stand in the house of the Lord. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord, the Lord who made heaven and earth. Bless you from Zion. Simchat Torah was the day of the attack. When Israel should have been dancing, raising Torah, many young Jews were dancing their pagan dances on the borders of Gaza. Let me be very clear. They did not deserve to be attacked. A sneak attack, the sucker punch, the evil that was done to them. But nor were they humbled in their heart nor were they looking to their God yet. There are certainly believers in Israel, but they have not been prepared yet for the final Feast of Tabernacles. We've been preparing for something that I told you we will participate in, and now I will read it to you from the prophet Zechariah. If you trust the Lord to build his house, if you trust in Jesus Christ, for his living water. If you've believed that he's the light of the world and you shall never more walk in darkness, then you one day will ascend to Jerusalem for the Feast of Tabernacles, for it will be reinstated in the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Zechariah 14, verse 16. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep, and to keep, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. And it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain, no water, if the family of Egypt will not come up and enter in, they shall have no rain. Then they shall receive the plague with which the Lord strikes the nations who do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. 
This shall be the punishment of Egypt, the punishment of all the nations that do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Are you a pilgrim in a foreign land? Are you a sojourner far from home? If you're a Christian, you are. This is not your home. This is not your place of worship. But Jerusalem one day will be. In that day, holiness to the Lord shall be engraved on the bells of the horses. The pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yes, every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holiness to the Lord of hosts. Everyone who sacrifices shall come and take them and cook in them. In that day there shall no longer be a Canaanite in the house of the Lord of hosts. Shalom. Ya Jerusalem. We're marching to Zion. Beautiful, beautiful. Zion, we're marching upward to Zion, the beautiful city of God. Let's pray. We give you thanks, O Lord God, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of Israel. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, we worship you, Savior of your people and King of Israel, King of the world, King of my life, the lives of all who believe. Thank you for providing salvation through your death on the cross, O Lord Jesus. But we wait in hope like a weaned child with its mother, waiting for peace to come to Jerusalem by your hand. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.